Welcome to day 180 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today begin our brief three-day journey through the Song of Songs. We're reading chapters 1 through 3. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. The opening line of Song of Songs reads, The Song of Songs, which is for Solomon. To describe the book as the Song of Songs, like calling Jesus the King of Kings, means that this is the best of all songs. And, as we have seen with much of the wisdom tradition, although the book is associated with or dedicated to Solomon, most scholars assume it was written by another author or authors well after Solomon's death. However, it could not have been written later than the 3rd century BC because fragmented copies of the Song of Songs was found among the scrolls in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a good deal of scholarly debate about whether the song is one long unified narrative or whether it's an anthology or a collection of separate poems. The likely answer is that it is an anthology or collection of separate poems about love that have been woven together in such a way that common themes then run together. One of the major debates about the book is how it should be interpreted Without question, many Jewish and Christian writers across the centuries have interpreted the song allegorically. At times, Jewish writers have interpreted the song as an allegory of God's love for Israel, and Christians as an allegory of Christ's love for the church. This kind of interpretation is mostly rejected by contemporary biblical scholars, however. Today, we would prefer to take this poetry at face value— as a celebration of God's gift of love and sexual expression between a woman and a man. If not read and interpreted allegorically, one might struggle to find significant theological themes in the book. Nevertheless, as we will see, the song's inclusion in the canon of Scripture makes two or three radical statements about God's intentions for humanity. One of the most important messages of the song is the celebration of physical intimacy between a wife and husband— Most of the time, when sexual intimacy is talked about or referred to in the Bible, it's usually connected to procreation. And conceiving and bearing children through sexual intimacy is certainly an incredible gift, but the song makes no mention of childbearing, and thus creates a space for the people of God to imagine physical love as an expression of self-giving intimacy with another. And perhaps, most radically for its time, approximately 60% of the dialogue in the book is spoken by the woman in the text. She is described as delighting in and being fulfilled by this relationship with her husband. Song of Songs thus fights against the stereotype of the purpose of sex being primarily for the fulfillment of the male involved in the relationship. The song imagines instead a reciprocal relationship, a mutual relationship of love and care and mutual edification. In a faith that across the centuries has struggled with Gnosticism, the denial of the goodness of material reality in our bodies in particular, the song also boldly delights in our bodies that God has given us, and not just the body for ourselves, but also the beauty of materiality and our bodies as a gift to the other as well. As Joel Colson and Sarah Colson Dirk write, Absent the song in the canon, many of the faithful would miss the biblical teaching that sex is sacred and beautiful, to be enjoyed for its own sake, celebrated, even named in our litanies of thanksgiving. In an age addicted to sex but terrified of true sexuality, the song is God's gift to the church. It's a great quote. After the brief introduction in verse 1, 
chapter 1, verse 2 through chapter 2, verse 7, seem to form the first major section of the book in which the main unnamed woman and man in the book have a deeply romantic conversation about love. Because the original text has no designations, readers have to try and guess when the woman is speaking and when the man is replying. Generally, it's assumed that the woman is speaking in verses 2 through 7, the man replies in verses 8 through 11, the woman speaks again in verses 12 through 14, and the man replies in verse 15. The woman speaks a third time in chapter 1, verse 16, all the way through 2-1. Then the man replies in 2-2, and then the woman completes the poetic conversation in chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. If you're reading the Comlin English Bible, it even includes the proposed character, the woman and the man speaking in brackets before each section. The woman's speech begins with a call for her lover to come and kiss her. Although in verse 4 she describes her man as my king, it seems unlikely from the rest of the context that her lover is Solomon or any other royal figure. It's not infrequent, scholars think, for a bride or groom to be referred to as the queen or king of their new home and life together. My wife is indeed the queen of the castle. In verses 5 and 6, the woman describes herself likely as a woman from a common family of farmers or winemakers. She says that although others may look down on her because of the color of her sun-baked skin, skin that she has because she's been forced to work in the fields, she takes pride in that dark color and knows that her king views her skin as part of her beauty. The man she is looking for is not described as royal either. He's somewhere out tending to his flocks with his shepherding companions. The man uses an interesting phrase to describe how he feels about her. In verse 9, he pictures her as a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. It doesn't really sound nice to modern ears to be called a horse, but the image likely means that it was dangerous for a mare to be near a team of chariot horses made up of several stallions because when the mare came along, the male horses would forget their work and all go chasing after the mare. So the man in the song is essentially saying, I can't keep working because all I can think about is you. Sounds like a great love song. In a world where baths were infrequent, spices and fragrant oils were essential. Women would often wear a satchel of myrrh around a string or necklace that would rest on her chest and soften and become more fragrant as her body temperature would rise. Verse 13 is a good example of the kind of sexual innuendos that get thrown into this text with some frequency. The woman imagines her lover as the satchel of myrrh reclining on her chest all night. On a side note, I was a little scandalized when I discovered that the children's church song I grew up singing, maybe you sang it too, His Banner Over Me is Love, is actually found here in the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4, in the midst of this quite racy love poem. Even the line from the verse of the song, I am my beloved's and he is mine, that's in chapter 2, verse 16. A second major section or poem begins at 2, verse 8, and goes through chapter 3, verse 5. This collection of poems are woven together to lament the absence of one's lover and the joy of being reunited. The poem begins with the woman hearing the return of her husband bounding over the hills like a gazelle or a young stag. He has returned with the advent of spring and, wit- and like the world blooming all around, their love is in full bloom again. Yet as chapter 3 opens, even though he's returned to the city, he's not returned to her. So she goes out to search for him. There's something in our heart and life given by God that longs for the care and companionship of others. The third major section of poems goes from chapter 3, verse 6 through chapter 5, verse 1, 
And those poems celebrate the consummation of this love. Again, although Solomon's name is used here at the end of chapter 3, it's likely not meant to be read as words from Solomon, but as the Wesley Bible Study notes make note of, Solomon and his bride represent how the two lovers see each other. In other words, because of their love for each other, their common space becomes in their imagination like the great rooms and chambers of Solomon's palace. I'm working on this podcast just a few days after our youngest son got married. He and his new wife are off on their honeymoon right now. I've often commented to my students that I find it beautiful and also a little bit humorous that in the church, we all get dressed up, come to the church, and we even bring gifts to the wedding ceremony. And we come very clear about what this couple is going to leave and do after the ceremony and the party is over. The opening poems of Song of Songs thinks that's perfectly appropriate because there's something creationally good about that kind of love and intimacy. In fact, without going into allegorizing the book, I do think it's still appropriate to say that there is something about that kind of open, transparent, and vulnerable love that is reflective of God's love for creation and Christ's love for the church. We have two more days of passion poems to go. Tomorrow we're reading Song of Songs chapters 4 through 6. I'll talk to you tomorrow.